Hey everyone, welcome to Unlikely to Apologize. I'm one of your hosts, Nikki. And I'm Heather. You're back. I'm back. It's been a long- I feel like you were gone forever. I know, it's been a long, long two weeks. Um, For those that are listening, I had a 17-year-old Pomeranian that we had to make the decision of putting him to rest. Um, About a month ago, we got diagnosed with kidney disease and I found out heart failure. I don't think I told you this. I did not um, know that. Yeah. So we hired a service to come to the house to assist us in this because I didn't want to bring bring him to the vet. I wanted him in the comfort of his own home. And she mentioned when she reviewed the records that there was heart failure too. And I was like, ha, huh, you know what? Because there was times that I noticed where he would like, he would like, like take these deep breaths. Yeah. I remember going to John. I was like, something's not right. So I guess he had that too. The vet uh, never told you that? I don't remember the vet telling me that. I was a mess. A month ago when they first told yeah. me, I was so focused on the kidney disease because there was a way for me to at least help him that I probably didn't even register you know, that. Yeah. And it was the same day that I was sitting at the car dealership because it's when I sold the Jeep. So like, I'm literally my, I was all over the place. Right. Um, so we had a service come home. We did it. Uh, shout out to better vet here in Austin. If any of you are in the position that I was, it was worth every penny. Um, so yeah, that's that. So thank you for holding the fort. (laughs) I mean, I don't know that I held the fort. It was more so just kind of like I was in it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And I kept trying to push myself because I know we talked like there were some days where I was like, all right, I can record today. And then like, I'd see him do something. And then I was just a mess. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. No, it's it's better to just, yeah. If you don't have to be doing something like putting yourself out there, having conversations, it's better to just not for your own, like well-being. Right. So I didn't work for like three days. And then one of my best friends, um, her little brother just graduated college. So she was like, do you want to come to Nashville? And John and I was like, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you get out of this house? <laughs> so I love Nashville. <laughs> Nashville's so amazing. Oh, I had a blast and even more of a blast because I love her so much and her family. And I've been right. since I was like 13, 14 years old. And it was just so, it was so fun and so weird at the same time to see like her little brother, like an adult, right? Like out right. with us bar hopping. Cause he's always been little, like I've known him since he was like born. He's always been little Zach. So, um, yeah. It was nice. It was, it was well needed and got me out of this house, which helped me not have so many moments. So. Yeah. It's always good to, to not only get out of the house or around things that remind you, but to actually do things and be around people that bring you joy. Mm -hmm. I feel like it makes the healing process so much better. Right. It was definitely, definitely helpful. And I like thanked them all weekend for allowing me to to be a part of it. So definitely amazing. Yeah, definitely needed it. Also so much fun. If anybody's knows Nashville's like amazing. I love Nashville. I've been dying to go back. Yeah. Um, It's one of my favorite places. Right. Yeah. I haven't been there. It's been six years. So it was nice to go back. I feel like it's, I feel like it's changed a lot. Um, Just like Austin has, like there's so much busier than it was six years ago. So many more bachelor and bachelorette parties. Like the place was packed, but still Mm -hmm. There was enough bars for us to not feel like crowded during the day. At night, there was like lines out the door. We didn't really go out that much at night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had I had a blast and it was a very, it was well very needed because I think I would have I I think I would have been a mess this whole weekend. 
Well, I'm glad you got to go. It, it, I saw the, every time I got on Instagram, I was like, I hope she's posting. You didn't post any, like as many stories as I wish you had. Cause I was trying to like live vicariously through you. Cause I freaking love Nashville. Um, but the things you did post, I was like, oh, I got to get back there. I know my sister said the same thing. She's like, you would ever not posting enough Snapchats for me right now. I, like, We're <laughs> <laughs> I needed more. I needed more. I needed more. All right. So yes. yes so thank you again. Um, yeah. And this week's episode, we have Elizabeth Kylie. Um, yes. From Connecticut, who is a speaking of the family that I went away with this weekend is actually, you know, one of the cousins of the giant family that they have. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So I've known Liz uh, since high school. And one of the things that I always admired or loved about her, um, because as we know, I never shared my journey with whatever I was going through. She was always very vocal about what she was going through. Right. Um, and she was a perfect candidate for what we're trying to do, because there were things that we learned, I think, in that episode that I don't think women know can happen to you or is available to them. So. Right. No, she. um her story is pretty incredible for everything that she went through. I don't want to give too much away because I want people to hear it from her um, tomorrow, but I just feel like her main point of her story is advocating for herself and the things that she experienced with her first pregnancy and delivery versus her next two changed wildly when she was, when she found her voice and she was like, no, actually this isn't what I want. This isn't right. And I'm actually not going to let you force me into something that I don't agree with, I think is, is incredible because, and I think I told her when she was talking about it, I wouldn't have done that. I would have just stayed with the doctor and I would have just been like, okay, this is it. I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable, but I don't, you know, so I feel like it was to know that you actually can advocate for yourself in a way that can change so much was really inspiring. Right. Yep. I agree with everything you said, the, the advocating the research. One of my, my things that I always tell people is have you done your research? Do you understand what you're going through? And she did just that. And then again, I don't want to give too much away, but she was able to navigate those conversations with her healthcare providers because she educated herself. And that's how important it is when we're put into these situations to not just listen to what we're being told, but to completely take the, the to take the time to completely understand why you're going through what you went through to make a better decision for you and, you know, whoever else around you. Well, I think a lot of people and myself included is I've always felt until recently that they're the doctor. This is their job. They know. Mm-hmm. I don't need to question them. I don't need to research what they're telling me. This is just what it is. And I've always just accepted that for every part of my, my life, um, with everything health-wise that I've ever been through. I'm just like, Oh, I guess this is what it is because I just feel like if I do my own research and I'm like, right. Cause when I say research, I'm like, I'm going to Google it. Well, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, clearly my doctor knows better than anything I'm going to find on Google. And so I just feel like having the flip side of that, where now I'm like, actually like, that doesn't feel right. I -hmm. think is really important to be able to do and to say that just like with anybody, 
you're not always going to agree, right? So this doctor could say one thing, this doctor is going to say another thing, and this doctor is going to say a third thing all about the same topic. And I feel like it is important to not just pick a doctor, but like interview them, right? Mm -hmm. Ask them questions so that you guys can be on the same page because I feel like there's nothing worse than in in, in any situation, being in a situation where you're just kind of going along with it, trusting this person, whoever it may be, and not agreeing with them. and, And you guys don't align on your beliefs. And I feel like you can't have any kind of healthy relationship if that's what it is with right. your, your, you know, people who are taking care of you, like your medical staff, whether it be a doctor, um, a dentist, and I, I mean, any of them, right? Like if I just feel like it's so important to understand what it is that you believe and that you want and find a team who will align with that. Yeah, that's, yep. That's right. I'm hit it right on the nail. It's yeah. We live in a world now where it's, it's jokingly like, don't believe everything that you read on the internet, but think about it back in the time where we were able to go. I mean, you're still able to go, but like you would go to a library or you would look for medical, you know, documents that may have been, you know, sent in a, a, a medical journal or something. We have that all at our fingertips better now and, and quicker, I guess, than, you know, say our, you know, generations before us. And I think that a lot of us are starting to, I mean, I always question it because I knew something was wrong with me, but I think a lot of people are starting to question it. And I think it also can be an adverse reaction too, because then doctors get upset. Like, well, I'm the doctor, like, listen to me. You know, that's why, like you said, but that should be a clear sign of a doctor you don't want. (laughs) Exactly. So that's why like interviewing doctors is something you can do. I mean, I went to how many doctors before I found the one that was like, okay. And I wish I took the time to do, I mean, I was just starting to do research in my, in my area, but I never like considered finding a specialist until somebody was like, Hey, why don't you go talk to a specialist, you know? So advocate for yourself, ladies and gents. Oh, we (laughs) always have a gentleman, uh, a gentleman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's right. We have a yes. male listener. So ladies well, and gents, take the yes. time to advocate, do your research and try to understand your body and stand up for what you think is right for your healthcare. Right. But, and I'll also on the flip side with that is also, that's why we're kind of doing what we're doing is we're talking to these different women who have these different experiences and these different journeys, because if you don't know, there's another option then you don't know. And so I feel like hearing from so many different women from so many different backgrounds and so many different experiences, just hearing somebody else say, this is what happened to me. This is what I went through. This is what I did can help somebody else be like, there is another option. I actually don't have to do this one thing, or I don't have to go down this one path. I actually have options. Right. And again, without giving away too much, she very similarly had somebody write something on Facebook for her to go, let me ask. So right. spread the word. Don't be embarrassed to talk about it. People will listen. And if not, room, move on. <laughs> well, and you're not the only one going through the thing you're going through. There exactly. are people before you that are going through it. There's people going through it at the same time as you. And there's people who are going to go after you. And I feel like it's really important if you are somebody who's going through something before somebody else to share your story. So the people coming behind you that are going to experience something similar 
kind of have an idea of how to navigate it or that they're not alone or that they, they can do this or they can do that. That's my doorbell. My lunch is here. <laughs> I have not grocery shop. Sorry guys. That's fine. It's totally okay. So we can wrap up quickly. Um, as always enjoy the episode for this week. Uh, please leave us a review, a comment, slide into our DMS. Um, let us know. You can find us on Instagram at unlikely to apologize podcast. You can send us an email at hello at unlikely to apologize.com. Um, and hey, that's harder than you think. I had to do it the last two weeks and I'm telling you what, <laughs> oh, they're ringing my doorbell and knocking. I have a note to just leave it. So I got to go or hold on. <laughs> what the hell? There's a note to leave it. <laughs> my alarm is about to go off too, because it won't shut off. There it is. <laughs> I mean, fucking kidding me. <laughs> I don't know why my alarm was on. Oh, that's obnoxious. <laughs> I can't with my life. And I scratched my leg and I have blood dripping. <laughs> oh no. All right. Let me just, just go do what you got to do. I'll, I'll finish the outro or I'll just say it. <laughs> I'm good. You can do it now. Okay. Or you can leave this in because it's freaking hilarious. We want to, we can. I mean, guys, you know where to find us. This is everyday work. I'm not even going to try to edit it. Enjoy this episode with Liz. Um, Please. Oh, there will be information on where you can reach her in the show notes. If you have any questions or are experiencing the same things Um, as always uh, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye everyone. Hey, Liz. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. So nice to be here. Finally, I know. Finally, really I know excited. it's been, <laughs> been a few few reschedules, but you know, life happens. <laughs> it does. No, I'm really happy to be here and to do this with you guys. So thank you so much for asking me to do this, Nikki. And I'm just assuming that you asked me because you watched, I did like an IGTV like a while ago. Well, that too. And I followed you. Obviously, we follow each other. I know you and your family very closely, but I loved yeah. how vocal you were about the subject. Um, so just a little, why don't you take this time to kind of sure. introduce yourself and what this passion is that I've, I've tracked you down for. <laughs> yeah, I don't know you. So tell me about yourself. <laughs> All right. I'll pre- yeah, so this will be fresh for me. Um, so my name's Liz. I actually just turned 36 a couple days ago and I'm a mom. Thank you. I'm a mom to three beautiful girls. Um, Nikki and I went to high school together. Her sister is a good friend of mine and we have a lot of mutual friends. Um, and I have shared because I have a five-year-old daughter. Um, I shared after, um, having a birth experience that was less than, um, less than what I expected from myself and from like my care team, I started sharing more about it and being more open about it. And, um, by doing that, I have opened up almost like the floodgates of people that were also stuck in like these tough situations with their birth story, whether they were trying to overcome something that happened, or they just wanted more education about what to do. Um, And so I saw how important it was almost for women to discuss the things, the tough things that we go through. And even if it 
hurts to talk about it, or it's something that you might be embarrassed that happened, like you're helping so many people. And I think it's like this generational thing. And I listened to one of Nikki's episodes talking about her own medical issues as a woman. It's like a medical thing happening to a woman. So it's very specific, but I resonated with her story as well, just because I feel like there's such a gap between what women expect or what the outside world thinks is going on with us and what is the reality. And I think there's a lot of resentment and um, a lot of hard feelings that come with that, that we're afraid to express. So, yeah. I would say that's, that's actually a great point. One of the main reasons, and you hear Heather and us, we talk about this all the time. That's the main reason we created this is when her and I met each other, it was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Or she, I would tell her about me. Well, I didn't know that. And I'm like, isn't it strange that us as such like a, a big society of, of women or people, like whatever you want to classify us, we don't talk to each other about these things. Unless you're going to have a very intimate relationship with friends, right. you might share it. But like at a public platform where people who would be shy to share that information, you wouldn't necessarily go, I found out what was wrong with me by somebody's blog. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, crazy. it's definitely crazy. Yeah. And no, the- I, I, oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was going to no. say, I started sharing very publicly. So we had a miscarriage. The only time we ever got pregnant was back in 2016, 2017. Um, and we had a miscarriage and I started sharing um, like two months after the miscarriage. And I've been very vocal. Like when we went through our IVF journey and everything, I shared every shot on Instagram stories. Um, only after doing that, did people come to me that I knew personally. And they were like, I also had a miscarriage or I also this, and I'm like, nobody talks about, so you feel like you're alone, but you're not all of, yeah, through all of these traumatic Mm -hmm. things. And then, so that's, yeah. So that's kind of where this was born through. I love the point you made too, about it's a generational thing. Like I remember being younger when you found out you were pregnant, my mom would tell me, wait three months. You can't say anything to anybody. And that resonates, right? Like it it continued. And when I found out I was, that's exactly what I did. I remember like John wanting to copy. I'm like, no, we can't do it. Thankfully, like, thankfully Mm -hmm. we didn't do it because that would have been, but it is, it is a generational thing. Um, So your first pregnancy was Nora, right? Right. So, um, my oldest daughter, her name is Nora and, um, it did, we didn't have any experience with being pregnant or birth or anything. And to go back to our point that we were talking about before the things that people don't talk to you about. Right. Um, so here I am, um, I don't remember how old I was, I think 29 years old, um, trying to get pregnant, you know, and have, it took us 16 months to, get pregnant with Nora, which not a lot of people knew because, oh God, don't talk about, you know, struggling to have anything to do with getting pregnant or vice versa. Like, don't talk about it. So I kept that to myself for a very long time and I shouldn't have been embarrassed about that. But, um, so we got pregnant and I'm just, you know, focusing on all of these things that are frivolous to me now, when I look back, like, because that's what marketing and I feel like advertisements and everything makes you feel like you should be focusing on and, um, you know, the nursery and what gifts I'm, I'm registering for and am I exercising and staying healthy? Yes. 100%. Um, we went to all 
do all of these tests. It feels like every week you're going and getting these things done. And it's 15 minutes in and out. Doctor asks, are you feeling good? You look great. That's what he always would say to me. You look fantastic, Liz. You're doing awesome. (laughs) I never sat and like chatted with him or he never said like, what are your expectations for your birth? So the whole expectation of mine was this is going to be a piece of cake. You know, like (laughs) this guy's not worried. He's smiling at me every time I come in. He's telling me how awesome I look, like getting all these tests done. Everything looks great. Like, yeah, go ahead. Well, with, with part of that too, though, right? Like you don't, you, cause my doctor, when I, I have a, an older son, 11, but they don't, right. They don't ask you what your plan is and you don't know to ask the questions because nobody talks about the things that could right. go wrong. So you have no idea. I ended up having an emergency C-section mm-hmm. and I'm the only person at the time that I knew that had that. And you're like in the, the room and you're like, wait, what? what oh because nobody tells you so yes you go and you see your doctor and everything's good everything's fine you yep. you're like this is gonna go perfect because nobody talks about the things to make it and I, not think go. Like, I th- and I think that a lot of it is like a little bit of anxiety but you just don't want maybe I was even looking back a little bit nervous to ask anything too specific or anything that might make me like scared right because I was so confident that this is going to be great because I'm healthy. I didn't even think anything about surgery, Heather. Like that's not me, you know, like (laughs) why would that ever, why would that ever cross my mind? I'm a healthy person. I really thought that people that had C-sections chose to have a C-section or they were unhealthy or they did something wrong or they had some other medical issue. Like, because that's basically what I was exposed to. And I didn't ask people like, why did you have that happen? Right. Well, I used to say, to. Oh, you know, you don't think, but I used to say, that's funny. You said that, that if I ever were to give birth, that I would want it to be cut out of me because I didn't want the other part to, I didn't want to do the other part. Like there are people that are like that. One of my friends, one of my friends told me, and this, it was kind of traumatic to me, but she said to me, like, I wish that I had your experience. And I'm like, what is wrong with people? But everybody is different. Everybody no. is different. Um, but yeah, so I went through the, all the things I was supposed to do. Nothing's going wrong. Um, I went into labor on my own, like 39 weeks, like clockwork and went to the hospital to see my doctor, the, <laughs> the guy that's been giving me the thumbs up all this time. And, um, he, you know, we were in labor. I didn't even talk to my doctor or anybody about pain medication. Like, nothing you guys like so I this was all being thrown at me in the worst possible moments because I'm in pain I'm exhausted like all these things so the anesthesiologist comes in he's like are you doing okay and I'm like no I'm in a lot of pain he's like all right let's get the epidural like no conversation really I was just like okay I guess that's what I'm supposed to do too right and my husband is just like going with whatever I'm doing because he, we didn't even take a, a class. Like that's how silly I was. Um, I was just trusting my medical team. Like they're going to do what's best for me. I know that. So I don't need to educate on all these things because they're the ones that are going to take care of me. We didn't, we didn't even, we didn't even stress or talk about the fact that you're a nurse. Like, no, I'm well, I am a not a nurse of radio. You do radiology. Sorry. Yeah. So but you're I still in medical in care. Yeah. yeah. I work in healthcare and how silly of me to just be like, 
you know, they're the experts, like they know what they're doing. Why do I need to know all the ins and outs? That's their job. And how stupid of me. But um, yeah, that was a whole other issue. I didn't do anything to prepare myself. But um, I got my epidural pushing, like everything's going great. And you guys know enough to know, like, when you get to a certain like dilation, like then you're pushing. So I went through all of that, you guys, everything. I was like, this is going the way it's supposed to. Um, and then when I was pushing, I was with the nurses, like the whole time. Um, my doctor wasn't, I wouldn't say he was a very integral part of what was going on in the heat of the moment. He kind of just came in, talked to them, not me, um, asked them how things were going and would leave the room. Um, and come back, check, come back, check. And that was it. Um, so after a certain amount of time had passed after my water broke and after I was pushing, he came in and he told the nurse, not me, um, you know, it's been like this many hours. She really should be, the baby should be descending more than this. Um, and I'm a little bit worried about the baby's heart rate at this point. And he's talking to the nurse. And so then I was like, hello, like, what do you, what is the, <laughs> I'm right here. Yeah, why aren't you talking to me? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? What's the plan? He goes, I'll give you 30 minutes and then I'm just going to see you in the OR. And I said, 30 minutes for what? And he said to make some progression here, the baby's head isn't dropping far enough. She's going to, or she didn't say she, I didn't even know what I was having. He said, the baby's going to get stuck if we don't make something happen soon. Right. Um, so the nurse, I felt so bad. She could tell I was like stressed out and she was like, don't worry. We we're going to be fine. But he was not a part of it. He was like, all right, I'll see you in 30 minutes. Came back. Nothing progressed. So he was like 30 more minutes and that's it. We're going to the door. I'm not, this isn't a discussion. Like I don't, this isn't safe anymore, but was it really not safe? I don't know. Cause I didn't ask any questions. I just felt pressured. I was tired. I was um, overwhelmed because I've been laying there for hours now, like crying. I was going to say, you're, you're sitting there, your doctor's barely talking to you. You got these nurses that are there and they're just like, oh, we're going to do this. Of course, you're going to almost be like, yeah, just, just get it out of me. I'm, I'm right. exhausted. Well, they scare mm-hmm. you too. Right. I mean, if, I mean, I had a very similar experience. I was pushing, um, but my son's heart rate kept dropping and they were yeah. like, they only let me push for 30 minutes. And they were like, he's making no progress. That's it. And you don't right. get a say in it at mm-hmm. all. Yep. And that's kind of what happened to me, Heather. Like he was like 30 minutes timed and I will see you in there. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that's ended up being what's, hap- what's happening. I guess like it wasn't what I was expecting. I remember like saying to Pat, my husband, like, this is not what I want. Like, I, I don't want to go in there. And he was like, Liz, we have to, like, that's, what he's saying you have to do. So we were scared. We had like a moment, the two of us together. And then I remember he kissed me and he was like, I'll see you in there. They're going to take good care of you. We're going to meet our baby. Like, just let, just go, you know? So I go in there with the nurse and I guess like in the process of them moving me to the table, cause they have to move you from the bed onto the table. Mm-hmm. Something happened with my epidural. Cause it's like a catheter, you know, Nikki, like um, they, it's a spinal anesthesia. Is yep. all it is. So it's like a, a plastic tube almost. So it is like secure, but something must've happened to it when they moved me. So, um, they draped me and everything. And, um, this is like surreal because I do this. I work in a, um, 
procedural area. So this is what I do with people. So I'm like, okay, I know what they're doing. This is good. I'm going to be fine. When can my husband come in? When can my husband come in? In a minute, once we get everything prepped, we're going to go get him. He's right outside the door. I'm like, okay, because I don't like being in a room full of people that I don't know. Um, my doctor, I don't even know where the hell he was at that point. Like on the other side of the room, he didn't say hello to me or anything. I can't believe that he's just like <laughs> not involved in all of yeah, this. Yeah, that's hey, horrible. Like that's my a little was, weird. My daughter was very there. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> It was surreal. So the nurse, like at least that poor woman that I like would not let, let her <laughs> off the hook. I was like standing there. So she's like, I'll go get your husband. Don't worry. So then the drape goes up. I hear the doctor's voice. So I'm like, okay, things are moving along. And then I feel him um, taking the, like a Kelly clamp, maybe something like that cold metal um, pinching my skin. So um, we do that to see if like lidocaine has set in yet to see like what types of sensations people have. So I felt that. So I told the nurse and the nurse told him the doctor and he was like, you're going to feel me touching you. Like stop panicking. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not panicking, but I could tell the difference between cold and hot. And I don't think I should. And he was like, okay, well you should feel me touching you. And then he did it again. So I, then I'm having like almost a panic attack. I'm like, he's going to like do something, cut me without me having any anesthesia. So I looked at the anesthesiologist. I said, I can feel whatever he's doing. I said, I can feel it. And it needs to stop. We're not doing anything until I can't feel that. So, um, the doctor like looks over the drape (laughs) and he goes, all right, you're going to go to sleep now. And I said, what about my husband? And the nurse was like, oh, um, he can't come in. He can't come in if you're going to sleep. Like we'll get him after. And I was like, what do you mean? And then they literally put like a mask over me. I was asleep, obviously. And then when I came to, I kind of didn't know where I was. Like you guys have had general anesthesia for things from what I, mean, I, I had a C-section and that is not how you're awake. I would say this is, this no, seems I like a violation of rights. <laughs> well, and again, you, you do, you feel because I had a C-section and I was very much awake for it. You can feel pressure and you can feel like I could feel tugging. Right. Um, and moving yeah, that point. And I could feel pressure, but I couldn't feel cold and I couldn't feel pain. And I didn't like, if they were just touching my skin, I couldn't feel it. Exactly. I, and I couldn't feel when they were cutting me open, but I could feel pressure from, and, and so. Right. And that's what you're supposed to that's how it's supposed to he go. He clearly you puts you to sleep because he didn't want to have to answer figure your question. Or like figure out what happened. Yes. Like, why is this not working anymore? Yes. Like what's right. going on? You know what I mean? Like everything just felt so rushed a, and not aggressive. On my, yeah. Aggressive. Very aggressive. It was so surreal. So, um, and when I woke up, I was kind of, you know, like that medication, even when you're, if you're only given it for a short period of time, like you're kind of, dazed and I was tired and dehydrated on top of it. So when I opened my eyes, I literally didn't even remember where I was. And, um, now my husband and I had waited like nine months to find out the sex of our baby too, which was something really important to us to have that moment together. I never discussed that with my doctor because I just thought he understood that he delivers babies. Right. And he knew I didn't want to know sex. Um, so when I kind of figured out where I was, I was looking around, like the nurse turned around with a baby and she said, here's your baby. It's a girl. And I said, 
where am I? That's literally what, (laughs) where am I? And she was like, you're going to be okay. I'm going to go bring the baby to your husband. And I'm like looking around, trying to like figure out what's, why am I in here in this situation? Um, I couldn't remember like obviously what happened. So they're like suturing me. So somebody was on the other side of the drape. I don't know if it was my doctor or not. And then when we went back to the room, my poor husband had been waiting there all that time. Nobody ever went and told him. Like he didn't even know the baby was born. No, nobody ever told him what happened. So he's like sitting there. And then the nurse, he was like, you know, what happened? And I could barely talk when my throat was so dry. Like, and so the nurse was kind of telling him what happened. And she was like, I'm sorry, we couldn't come and get you. Everything was a little bit rushed. And he was like, well, an update would have been nice. You know, just there, a were, enough people Congrats, in Dad. That, there <laughs> were enough people in that room to have sent somebody out. That's what, that's what my husband said. He goes, even if the cleaning person came out and told me your wife is okay, but you can't come in there. He was like, that he, he was probably over- freaking out. Oh, God, right. poor Pat. I know. So it's like, he was traumatized by this as well in like a whole other way, I guess. But you know, once the baby is born and you know, they tell you over and over, like, look at how healthy she is. Like she's doing great. You did such a great job. And then it's like this overwhelming sense of, so am I not supposed to talk about everything that just happened? Like, am I just supposed to be happy now? A family comes to see you, you know, and nobody asks are you okay? What happened? Like everybody is, it's a lot of stuff for the baby, like baby. And obviously I'm so grateful that she's okay, <laughs> right. but there's like a piece missing almost. And you don't matter anymore. Now the baby <laughs> right. is, right. is essentially what they did. Yeah. No. And that's, right. and I, I know that that's common. A lot of people say that, like, I always make it a point whenever I go visit anybody who has a baby, I always go, how are you? Do you need right. anything? Me too. But even, <laughs> yeah. the, even the staff at the hospital though, like the doctor didn't, the nurse didn't like, it was like, you don't matter. Look at your beautiful baby. We don't care what happened to you. Not, not even just be like, do you need a minute to just process what happened to you before? Right. I, you know, let like me explain to you what just happened. How about, how about, let me just take a second and explain to you what happened. Right. Yeah. There was none of that. Oh, actually. Geez, like, Liz. and I think I know, and I think like my doctor was off for like the next two days. So I didn't see him again. <laughs> um, I can't after- wait. So he like, <laughs> he just like left you. I'm, I don't mean to yeah. laugh, but like this is comical that he just like, all right, she's done. I'll, I'm, I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah. And he did go out. I know at least that he went out and talked to my family that was in the waiting room only because they had a video because they thought it was him coming out to like tell them something. And he was just like, Oh, like she had to have surgery. Um, the baby was too big. He said like something and my sister has it on video, just very matter of fact. And he was like, you'll be able to go in and see her in a few hours. And he just like kept walking. Um, so that's the only reason why I know he even went out there and right. talked to them. Um, so, so do you think, do you think, because, I mean, I'm sure he delivers God knows how many babies a day Oh yeah, that he's just, you know, like the, it's Obviously. The, who, how many yeah. years he's been doing that, that he's just numb to whatever just happened to you. Right. And it's probably very, just the way that things are for him. Like, this right. is my job. Like I do surgery, like. And uh, I make sure that people are healthy and they get out of here. But like, I think after my experience, I realized that there's such a missing piece to what mothers or women in general need when they're cared for, because there's so much emotions attached to all these things. Right. Um, 
And so I felt very alone, very alone. The only person I could talk to really was my husband because he went through it with me and he could tell like something was not right. Um, so needless to say, like I was able to recover, I recovered. Okay. I had like a lot of pain afterwards and I don't know why, because I didn't even want to ask the doctor like, or call him to figure out like if something was wrong, but I was just in a lot of pain. So it was hard to breastfeed. It was hard to get around my house afterwards, like any abdominal surgery. It's a major thing, right? Like it's not something little that it's just like, Oh, it's like a little thing. It's huge. Um, so the recovery is, takes a lot longer than I think people realize. So just doing things that you need to do after you have a baby are like 10 times harder in the first couple of weeks, if you have a C-section. Um, but like I got through it, I struggled obviously for a while. I needed a lot of help, um, just to get to doctor's appointments and all these things. And, um, I think like, I never went back to that practice afterwards, even for my regular care. I was I, just about to ask, did you go back? Cause I feel like I would have just been like, Nope, I'm I done never with you. would have. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. Have. And I didn't even feel ne- like it was necessary for me to give them any explanation. Like they didn't even ask me why I called and asked for like my records to be moved somewhere else. And they were just like, okay. Um, it's so- such a common, like a common theme that we've had with a lot of people who've had medical conversations, like relationships with doctors. We just had this conversation with Chelsea the other night. It's just like, you can ask for things. They'll tell you, no, you, you know, they, it's like, they just don't care to care if that makes yeah. sense. It's, it's weird. And I know. And I get that, like, it's their job and it probably is exhausting. And, but it's just like, I don't behave that way when I'm at work. And so I think that's why I feel like a little bit strongly about it just because I care a lot about my patients when I'm right. at work and how they feel. And I make sure they understand what's going on. So the fact that that wasn't given to me, it makes, it does make me angry. Um, and it's well, you- the expectation. If you can't give somebody adequate care, like a genuinely care that you need to, it's time to retire or right. find something else to do or switch departments. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> do something different. There is definitely, there is definitely a, a, a piece of, and I, and I understand it. Like I did family law for 10 years and at some point you do become numb to certain things and you do become like, Oh, that's, that's not a big deal. I've seen worse or, mm-hmm. and right. so, but when that happened to me is when I left, right. Because yeah. I was like, it's not fair because this person coming in, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happening to them. Or, you know, they're having a baby. It's the best day ever. Like if you can't be the person that you need to be at your job, it's time to move on in my opinion. And I've done it anytime I've left a job. It's for that reason. Right. Right. I totally understand that. And like, so I couldn't go back. I couldn't even look at this person again. And, um, I didn't want any explanations. I just wanted to move on. Um, and so my journey of like getting over this and not getting over it because it's a part of me now. And it's changed me a lot because it changed the way that I look at things, the way that I prepare for things for myself and my body. So in a way, strangely, like five years later, I look back and I'm like, maybe I needed that to happen so that I could be more proactive about things in my future as far as my health care and teach my daughters and the people that I care about to do the same thing. But 
with that being said, when I had my second pregnancy, um, there is a lot of like misinformation about when you have had a C-section first. So what do you, like Heather, you, you had a C-section. So if you did get yeah, pregnant so again, what is your expectation? I like, did. Well, yeah. So what happened was, so I, I, we got pregnant and then had a miscarriage and my doctor said, when I went in for our eight week checkup, um, before we miscarried, the conversation was very much like, okay, look, you've had a C-section before you should have another C-section because what can happen if you, and I know a lot of other people who said the same thing. If you have a C-section and then do a vaginal birth, the pushing can rupture your uterus is what we're told. And, um, and that's, that's my, my doctor, understanding. Yeah. But my doctor well. said, it's up to you. If you want to try and do this vaginally, I'll be right there with you and we'll do everything we can. But if something goes wrong and we have to do an emergency C-section, we will, but it's safer for you to do a C-section. Right. This, yeah. Is what I was told. Mm-hmm. And that's what the majority of people too, like think like when I tell them that I didn't have another C-section, people are very shocked even now, like this day and age. Um, they, I didn't know that you were allowed to do that. I was, you didn't, so you I didn't know that you had option. I was yeah. Say, yeah. So having the option, like I didn't know until you that there was an option. Right. I thought it was just that. Like your doctor giving you the option was, I wouldn't think that was normal. Well, I think that they've changed. So I, I know people years and years and years ago who had seen, and they were told you don't have a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think now they're saying you, but this is the risk. Do what you want is what I was told. And I have, I know a couple other people who they said, their doctor said, this is the risk, but if you want to go for it, I will. Well, who would go for it? when the information is presented the way that it is. And it's all all about like language, like how they present things. And so when I did my own research, like looking up everything, and I even went so far as to looking up what the consent forms look like. So I could look at the language when I knew I was pregnant. And I was like, if there's a possibility that I don't have to do this again, that is the way I'm going to go because I am so traumatized by what happened to me that like if this happens again I don't know like mentally how I'm going to be okay like I could not fathom that happening so um I looked up everything I read like all the um evidence-based information on vaginal birth after cesarean and to my surprise these you know scary numbers that people all talked about were not really as scary like the um, risk of your uterus like rupturing right from at, from having a previous scar in your uterus is like less than like one percent <laughs> out of like hundreds of thousands yeah. of births. See, so I didn't, I didn't feel pressured by my doctor. Like she didn't make my doctor at least didn't make it yeah. like this is going to happen. She was just like this is a chance. So I feel like mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough with my OB. I was going to say you had a good OB. Yeah. She was very much like this, you know, obviously my husband heard that and he's like, well, we're not going to do. And I was like, we're so far away from having to have this conversation. We don't even need to, but it was very much like, this is a possibility, but I didn't get, she didn't give statistics or anything, but she did. Right. She did just say it. Um, but I didn't realize it was that low. They have like a, um, it's like a grid 
of they, and I don't even know if it's used anymore, but I saw it online and it was basically like a checklist of what, um, what you needed to mark off to be able to be a good candidate medically for a vaginal birth after cesarean. So I was reading it and I'm like, okay, I check off this box. Like, did you go into labor on your own? Check. Mm-hmm. Did you um, progress to this point? Check. Um, you know, are you over this much weight? Like all these things, like do you have high blood pressure, all these things. No, 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 no. Check, check, check. Okay. This is good. Like I'm feeling good. Like this is good. So, um, I went to a new practice and I did like almost an interview with the OB and it was at another like small community hospital, you would call it here in Connecticut, but he was like very, you know, took the time to talk to me, told me, um, I think you have a good chance at this. Like, why not? Like, and was it negative? So at that point in my experience, that was great. Just that he was being neutral about it. Um, so I went and saw him and me and my husband are like, we're going to try this. We knew that, um, if things weren't going well or something bad did happen during labor, then you're right. Like we would need to have a C-section, but we didn't even get to that point of having the conversation with the doctor yet. It was like early in our pregnancy. Um, and I only saw that doctor. I was going to ask, did you kind of like, I don't want to, I hate using the term shop around, but did you like research doctors to see if anybody would be, you just found him, went to, and if it didn't work out, you would go to somebody else. Gotcha. Right. I found him and he was nice. He sat down and talked to me, which was obviously a hundred percent more than the last person (laughs) who didn't even talk to me. So I was like, oh my God, he like actually made an appointment and sat with me in his office, like not an exam, like literally just talked to me. And that was like gold to me at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went to him, but there were other doctors in that practice too, but I only saw him because he was the one that I talked to. He was the one that I liked, which is another stupid, stupid thing that I did. And, um, so things were looking great. I was doing everything I was supposed to. And then at like 32 weeks, I went for a checkup and my husband drove me because we were like going out somewhere else. And they told me that doctor wasn't there. Um, they were like, but this other, this other OB is here. It's just to like check your blood pressure, do all these things. So, um, it'll be 15 minutes in and out. No problem. And I went in and it was a woman. Um, and so I'm just like chit chatting with her. She's doing my blood pressure. She's looking at my chart and she turns around like holding the thing. And she's like, so you're, are you scheduling your cesarean? I'm confused about this information. And I was like, no, does it say that anywhere? And she was like, well, you're 32 weeks pregnant and you haven't scheduled it yet. And I was like, no, because I'm not having a C-section. And she was like, but do you know like what your risks are? And she started just berate all of a sudden out of nowhere, like telling me all these negative things, which it's fine, but it just wasn't the time and place maybe either. Like she could have made another appointment with me you weren't her patient I was just saying you weren't her patient so she doesn't have the right like your care was with your doctor well so that's the problem though when you go to these practices now imagine right if you go into labor so and all the doctors have different doctors in their offices mine too if you go into labor and your doctor is off 
The on-call doctor is who's coming. Your doctor's not coming. But how does that, that shouldn't disregard your birth plan that you've already talked about. If like, that well, doctor is Nikki, against it. Clearly it wasn't there. <laughs> clearly. She, she was like, what, what is going on? Why don't you have your thing scheduled? And I was like, I didn't know I needed to schedule it. And she was like, you should, because the OR is going to be booked. And she was just like, very like rigid. And so I was like, I'm confused. Like I'm, that's not what I want to do. And she goes, well, you have another child to think of, not just yourself. Like how selfish this is of you. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, this is the twilight zone. This is everything happening that happened to me before. She was like, um, does your husband know that this is what you're planning on doing? Oh. And I said, yes, he does. <laughs> um, and so she was like, is he here with you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, um, can you go get him and bring him in here? Oh, so, no. I'm, I'm sorry. We need to take a break for a minute. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. This is a woman. Yes, that's like another this. thing. Yeah. Like, not I could I could maybe see that from an older man. But older man, yeah. Nope. This is a woman doctor. Mm hmm. Making sure it's almost asking, I can't, Liz. How did you keep yeah. it cool? I would have lost. My I shit. didn't, Nikki. I started crying because oh. I wasn't expecting this conversation either. So I told her, you know, I can go and get him. And so she, I went and got Pat. And at first, he told me afterwards, he was like, I thought like the baby had died, like the way you oh. looked when you came out. And so he was like, What's the matter? And I was like, The doctor wants to talk to you. I don't know what's going on. Something's changed, basically. And he was like, Oh, okay. So he goes in there and sits and he's like very calm, not like me. And she's talking at him and he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, well, that's not the plan. And she was like, well, like, what about your other child? And what about the convenience? Like, do you have someone to take care of her? If, she, if your wife just goes into labor, like, don't you guys want to schedule this so that you don't have to worry about that? And I was like, I'm not worried about that. And I'm not worried be. about that. It's not your so family. Pushy. It's not your kid. You don't need to worry about this. Right. She, the last thing that she said to me was that she didn't understand what the big deal was. And she said that she has a patient that had eight cesarean sections and has no complications. And she was like, so I don't get why people don't want to do this because it's just so much easier and it's easier for everyone and convenient. And I was like, I can't talk anymore. I really need to leave. So, okay, but, that's what it that's what it sounded like. It's a convenience factor at that point. Right. It's not a convenience factor. You're having major surgery. When you right. have a C-section, they're literally cutting you open all the way across and removing your organs and putting them back. How was that? It's not convenient. convenient. <laughs> not convenient at the, all. And, and here's the thing. You have another child to think about. Yeah. The downtime for a C-section versus a vaginal birth right. is like, like how, how am I so going like, to my child? Yeah. Oh, I love you. Sorry. Oh, she didn't care. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Sorry. My husband just brought me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, no, that's didn't care. That's I know. Absurd. So I felt like at this point, how will I ever get the care that I'm looking for? Does it even exist? Like, is this the way that I should be treated almost after all of this? And I was so frustrated. I'm 32 weeks pregnant. And I have another kid, so I'm busy. Um, I didn't go back to that 
practice either. Like I actually just walked out of that office. At 32 weeks? <laughs> yep, just left. So that's what I was going to ask you. Did you see, because I'm wondering if you told your doctor you'd been seeing that she said that to you, if, if there would have been a thing with that. I thought maybe. So I called them and I talked to whoever was in charge of the practice. And I, and it was another woman who I hadn't seen, but I expressed like what happened and how I felt kind of mistreated and just not, um, not like there wasn't a connection between the different doctors because this one person told me one thing and it made me uncomfortable with the practice because like you said, if I go back and this other well, woman was on call, oh my God, like I, she would have just rolled me right. She would have ignored it. No, she and, um, care, yeah. So this doctor was like, I'm sorry that you were treated that way. And I'm sorry that we have different opinions on things. And she didn't really have an answer for me. Um, and she told me if I felt uncomfortable, then I had to go with my gut. What I, if I didn't feel comfortable with them having different opinions on things of how they do things, she was like, then it's your right. Like you can go somewhere else. And I'm sorry that, you know, it got to this point. Um, so what I think I'm upset about in this whole story, like it's one thing to have different opinions, but you're 32 weeks and you as a medical practice are sending a woman away who's mm-hmm. close to giving yep. birth. And you're well, just like, you're sorry, sending- we have a disagreement. No, yeah. you're sending a woman away that you couldn't bully into believing what you wanted to believe. That's essentially That's what you're doing. Right. Yep. But not even like offer a recommendation, like, Hey, why don't you go to this practice? Like, no, there was none of that. It was Nothing. just, all right, see you on your way. That's what I oh. have a problem with. Like, yeah, least- it was very weird. There was no like continuity. Like they didn't say, can we, can we offer you any other people that you can go see? Like nothing. So it was kind of in my hands and, um, I didn't know where to turn, but I kind of got this feeling like maybe I don't want to see a doctor. Maybe I should see somebody else completely. So I started looking up midwives in Connecticut and, um, one of a girl that Nikki and I went to high school with actually is a midwife. And I only knew that cause I saw her posting about her schooling. So I totally randomly just reached out to her and said, I know that you have no idea what's going on with me. And we haven't talked in a very long time, but I am in desperate need of help. And in true like fashion of a medical person, she dropped everything and like called me that day. What is going on? Are you all right? and nobody had asked me that in months and this person that I haven't seen in a decade you know and do you know who I'm talking about Nikki yeah yeah, yeah. you could say I was like you could say yeah, Jenna. okay yeah. so Jenna and um so she talked to me on the phone for like 30 minutes I told her what happened she was like 32 weeks like this is tough but I know a place I'm gonna call them I worked with them in New Haven they practice out of Yale. She was like, let's see what we can do because you don't deserve this. Um, so she called this group of midwives that practices out of, out of Yale and, um, they didn't really have the availability, but they made it happen because of my situation. And I went at 32 and a half or 33 weeks and saw them and sat down with them for an hour. They had my husband come with me. They went over all of my medical records and, um, they made sure that like they knew what was going on. And that was something that I hadn't had in a long time, like not about my physical health, but just like, am I mentally prepared for this? Do I know what the risks are? Are they going to be supportive of me? Like all the things that I needed and I just couldn't figure out how to get it. 
I guess, which right, is sad. It's, it is sad. And it, it's, I'm so happy you found that. And it's, oh, it's, right. it's so like, we talk about the difference between medicine, functional medicine, and, you know, going off the norm of, mm-hmm. I feel that in, in, in my like medical journey, I just recently started working with a functional doctor and it's been a game changer with everything right. that I do. It's just having that, when you take that Western culture medicine away, you get actual people, right? right. Actual people with feelings who want to help. Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's people, it's, they actually care, right? They're not just going to prescribe you a medication. They're not just going to tell you, take this. They're actually going to sit down with you and listen to you and listen to what you want. Right. And okay, well, how can we make that work Mm -hmm. for you? Totally, totally. And And if there's any negatives, they'll at least they're not going to bully you. They're going to educate no. you on it. Yes. They're going to make sure you understand. Yes. That's what I appreciate about my doctor currently. She takes Absolutely. the time to go, if you don't do this, here's what could happen. Here's mm-hmm. what might happen. Like she'll break it down. And that's but it's what your decision. Need. Yeah. But that's what we need from our healthcare providers. Need. <laughs> yeah. And they might say things that you don't want to hear. Like, and that mm-hmm. did happen when I talked to them and they were like, you know, the outcome, we have a great success rate. They said with vaginal birth after cesarean, but this is what you have, what our success rate comes with. Um, and no pain medication was one of them. <laughs> oh no, no so, pain medication. Well, so I didn't know this, but they educated me on it, which, so then I had a better understanding of why, why they wanted that. So when you get like an epidural, you can't walk around and you can't move. So if right. in your previous birth, you had trouble with, uh, your baby with descending, right. You have a different they, position and you can't do yeah. that. So, so it like clicked to me, like, oh my God, like that makes sense. Okay. Right. Like that's all yeah. I need to know is the why that's all. Well, when I'm the same way. Why? <laughs> before I had, before I had to have my emergency C-section, when I was getting the epidural, I was very clear with my doctor and the anesthesia. I said, I just want you to take the edge off. Do not give it to me to where I can't feel anything. This was right. before, before I had a C-section. I said, I want to be able to feel everything, but just take the edge off because I didn't want to have, so I could still, if I needed to, move around or walk around right. just, and I was very clear, like, I don't want a full epidural, mm-hmm. just take the edge off, but obviously C-section, they have to do it. But yeah. Then it's like, it well, makes sense but, though. Right. So basically every intervention that's introduced, that's not medically necessary, um, sort of will decrease your chances of having a successful vaginal birth. Um, if you get induced and that's like, you know, medication that's making you go into labor that like mm-hmm. kind of puts you in a little like down uphill battle. And then if you get an epidural and you're laying down, that's like another thing against you. So they told me it's not going to be easy, but this is the stuff that we're going to support you to do to get the outcome that you, that you're looking for and right. for you to understand everything that we're telling you. So I felt like, okay, maybe I didn't want to hear that. Obviously like it's kind of scary, but I knew ahead of time and I knew that they knew that I knew that it was right. a closed loop of communication, which a communication so- that you've been looking for since your first pregnancy, that could have just right. been, all of this could have been avoided if the right. conversations were just being totally. had. Totally. Amazes um, so me. I know. So I felt very confident in them. Maybe, you know, they, maybe they were telling me stuff and it was going to be hard, but it's okay. 
like I'm going to be okay because I like them and they are listening to me. Um, and the last, like, so I saw every person in the practice. That was another part of their like practice that I liked is that they made sure they made an appointment with every single person that worked there with me. And because I was so close to my due date, they like scheduled more appointments for me, like on their own. Like they didn't, they were just like, we want to make sure you meet everybody. So the first time you're meeting them, isn't when you're in the hospital, which is makes so much sense again, but not what I was used to. So I was happy to meet all of them. I liked all of them. They were all very different, but like totally cool. They were all understood what was going on with me. And then my last appointment at 38 weeks, the midwife um, told me, you know, we need to sign like all of your paperwork and consent. So I had to sign ahead of time, the, um, the consent form for a C-section. And so she could see in my face, I was a little bit upset um, when she brought it to my attention and she put her hand over and she said, look, this is just legal stuff that I have to have you sign. And she was like, I know this isn't what you want. And this isn't what we want either. But she goes, I want to tell you that no matter what happens, she goes, if one of us is there with you, we're never going to leave you alone. And she goes, and God forbid, like you do have to have surgery. She was like, we will never, we can't perform the surgery, but we're never going to leave you. And we're going to keep you informed the entire time. And I just started, like, it was almost like a release. Like no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. And somebody's going to be with me because she told me, you told me that you were left alone, basically, like without your husband. And she was like, and that's traumatizing. I was just about to say that, like your biggest fear subconsciously was just the fact that a, nobody was talking to you. You were alone. Like your husband wasn't even in the room and you were have basically these even if you did know the nurses, they treated you like you were a stranger. Like well, that's, they, that's traumatizing, especially for something they, that, yeah, that, that serious. Mm-hmm. They shushed you by putting you to sleep. Right. right. Like that even too. I mean, <laughs> like Liz, they, I would be, I'd be burning the place down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was just a lot. It's just a wild, like out of body experience is the only way that I could even, you have no control. And I just felt so out of control. So to hear somebody tell me that like, yeah, that, that happened to you and it sucked and it's, we can't change that, but we can change your experience if it's going to happen again. And we're going to make sure of it. Like, don't worry about that part because I think she could tell that that was something that I was very scared about, even if I couldn't say it out loud yet. Um, so it just was like a release of energy and, it made, I think it made a huge difference, like mentally for me too, to prepare because now I didn't have that pressure of absolutely no surgery. It was like, well, you know what, if that does happen, like I'm going to be all right. And I'm in a good place right now for that, you know? Um, so a couple days later, I went into labor with my second baby and Two hours after I even felt like I was in labor, my daughter was born almost in triage at the hospital before we could even get up to the labor and delivery floor. (laughs) And so, you know, I, it, it all happened the way it was supposed to, but had I not, had I not felt what I felt and voiced what I thought was important for me and for my body and just my mental state, 
And I wouldn't have been at that point. And maybe I wouldn't have had such a successful birth if I haven't hadn't gone through all those stages because I really felt healed, healed like after that birth. Like I'm not broken. I do know what I'm what I'm doing and I am prepared. I'm I'm a strong person. And I couldn't say that after my first birth experience. I was I was gonna ask, do you feel I mean I you do you feel a little, I don't know if it would be postpartum, but because you were so traumatized, it was hard for you to have that connection and do like the things that you, you know, would expect your body or your, your, your relationship with your baby. Did any of that get hindered? Or do you think you were still pretty good with that? Because I can I imagine I- it's okay if it's, you know, cause I can imagine that would be a little bit of a struggle because you, you weren't there for that moment. Right. Like I envision you know, that being like a little tough for people. I did. Um, I didn't feel any resentment or like negative emotions towards my baby at all. What I did feel was a lot of resentment towards other people who had good experiences as nasty as that sounds like, no, we get it. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, exactly. It's like with all things you're like, well, why them? Like, what did I do wrong that this is what happened to me? And so I think I beat, I was beating myself up internally and, God forbid you say out loud to someone because they would be like, well, you're alive. That's what everybody says. Like after you have anything happen to you, but my favorite is God wouldn't give you anything you couldn't handle. Right. I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Actually, it's 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 not. Yeah. It's not helpful. It's not. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get people get put when people talk about trauma and uncomfortable situations or something went wrong medically or any of these things, people don't know what to say. So they say things like that. And I really do try my best to not do that, but sometimes you, you can't help it. Right. Like, yeah. like when I talk to you, I'm like, Oh, I don't know what to say. What do I say? And I, I'll I try usually to like, say that. I don't know what to say to you right now, but I'm, and I do, I started doing that's, that. I wish I had I the words. Yeah. It's now I, go, I, I wish I had the words, but if I can offer anything and then I'll say like yes. something small, I won't say like, but it was something that I would hope would make the persons feel better, the day better. You know, it's just, it's just really make them feel seen, right? Make them feel seen. That's really, I think yeah. a lot, what people want, want to know is that you see, I see you and I know you're struggling. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. it sucks. Right. It, it does sucks. suck. I try Not- to do like, I hear you. That's the other one. Thing. I, I hear, hear you. I hear, I hear you. you. Or t- I always do like totally. Like I get it. <laughs> you oh, know. Yeah. That, see, that would have been more helpful to me. Um, right. <laughs> because we're just like, you know, what do you want? What do you want? Like at least you have a healthy baby. And like I used to hear that all the time. And I never thought anything of it until it was me sitting there feeling soul crushingly like upset with myself and people just saying, You're alive. Like, what do you want? Like they saved your life. No, they didn't save my life. I don't even know. Like really what the whole, you know, progression of things was. And I didn't look into it because I just was so detached, but like, this isn't fair to women. This isn't fair to people in general to be treated like them. Well, the whole fact of people telling you, at least you have a healthy baby, at least your baby's healthy. Well, what about you as an individual, right? Like I get once you have a baby, it's all about the baby and the baby, this and the baby that, but like you just went through such a traumatic experience. What about the, and that's, I think where people are missing the mark, like, Oh, at least you have a healthy baby. At least you're alive. Well, yes, but that doesn't take away from the trauma 
that was, so what, I guess my question is how, how did you heal yourself like inside from the trauma or did it heal naturally going through the second? My, yeah, my VBAC was my healing process. I think finding the right people to take care of me, finding people that listen to me, um, learning what my triggers were for things by having those hard conversations with the midwives. Like that was like my therapy almost. Um, maybe I should have gone to therapy before that, but going through that whole process was my forced therapy. Like what, why do you feel this way, Liz? Like what is triggering you? Why are you so emotional about that? What do you attach to? Like, and going through all of that, it healed me because it made me realize that I am in control of certain things. There are things that I'm not in control of, but for me to be okay with what's going on, I needed to just be educated and supported bare minimum, bare, bare minimum. minimum. That's all I that. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, that's perfect. So when you had your third, when you were pregnant with your third, I assume you went back to the same. Right. Midwest. I went back to the okay. same lovely women and they delivered my third baby vaginally. And, um, it's funny because even the third time, like I did have a little like snafu during my delivery. My daughter's shoulder actually got stuck because of the way she was positioned. And, um, it's a time where they have to move very quickly and do things. But that midwife literally came to me like an hour after the birth. And she sat down and she was like, listen, I'm sorry that that was so quick. And there was a lot of people in here. I want to talk to you about what happened and why we had to do what we did. Oh, hello. Like this is, what you like, this is what we deserve. And I wasn't even like thinking at that. It was such a short period of time after my daughter was born. So I'm like snuggling with her, but she was like, I'm so sorry that all those people rushed in. Um, I just want to explain to you quickly what happened and let you know that like everything looks okay. I'm just sorry that you got bombarded like that. That wasn't what I was expecting. And I was like, thank you. What? Like, <laughs> But that That's should amazing. be normal. That, that should, should be, be your normal standard of care. Because one of right. the things, like you said earlier with your healing, you didn't get to necessarily heal because nothing was explained to you. And right. you weren't able to have the opportunity to ask. I'm a, You and I are very similar in the sense. I need to know the why. Yes. I don't yep. care that you had to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. I just want, give me the reason why. Well, and I think and, if, if the first experience, even, even if it had played out the way that it had played out and they put you to sleep and you woke up, I feel like if somebody had sat down and did that after it would have changed your whole view. Oh, you probably would have been okay with having another cesarean. Well, that was a traumatic C-section. Like mine was, mine was very, very smooth. I cannot imagine having had to deal with that like that's yeah. not okay and then nobody says anything to you after They're that's just like, that's oh, the part that kills me about this host. you know what but also at the same time like I hate to say that but I'm thankful that they didn't because you found a better path yes. right yeah you know and on and, my own and on, on my your own, own. and you I taught yourself to research and you know figure you're an out. advocate mm-hmm. yeah. and that's the, an that's advocate. the best thing you can do right that's why the, like <laughs> it makes so much sense to that we need to do that. But that's why, like I was telling Nikki, like it resonates with me to just have to 
it's okay to seek out other options. It's okay to ask questions because why are we told that that's, that these people are here to take care of us and that's it? Like, if you're not happy with something or you think something's wrong, like you have every right to figure something else out. It's your body, your life. And somebody else shouldn't dictate how you feel about it. Like you need to, you need to advocate. And so going through this whole process and realizing all these gaps in care and what is expected versus what actually happens has changed, not just my life medically, but in, in general, like now I am such a, like, even at work, they tell me like, you have such a questioning personality, Liz. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking do. Like, excuse me. I want to know. And that's just the way I am now. But I hope that my daughters see me doing this and they don't take, you know, answers from things that they don't feel is appropriate. Like that's, and my friends, and it's a whole, like a whole thing that I want to keep talking about because even though it sucks, it could help somebody else to not have to get to that point too. I love, I love what you said too, because I really truly believe had I not gone through what I did, I wouldn't be the person I am. I wouldn't have that questioning, you know, and that's a lot of one of my personality traits that I know a lot of people have a hard time with because they constantly ask, well, why? Well, what did you do? Or what can we do? Did you do this? Did you research? Remember when you and I like first met and we were talking, Heather, when you and I first met, we were talking about like medication and I was like, well, have you done research? Do you know your side effects? And you're like, well, no. <laughs> and I was like, well, you got to read the side effects before you start doing things. I forget what it was, but then you, you made a nickname for me. You called me like the little, my little researcher or something like that. And you would ask me questions because I wasn't okay. And I worked for a pharmaceutical company. I knew, I learned through that journey, also working at a pharmaceutical company that there's there's side effects and repercussions to just being on medication. In mm-hmm. my story, one of my big, I had that doctor here in Austin that just kept pushing, push. No, she sent me home with samples every time, even though I told her I did not want to try it. Yeah. I still it's, have samples. I didn't even throw them out. They're like in my, I would have left them there. When I left the room, I would have left them on the, the table or the counter. Well, they gave it to I you when you cash out. I, I would have left them sitting right there. I would get in my, them. I'd get in my car and I'd be like, she gave me more fucking samples. I told oh her I didn't want them. Yeah, Isn't but it like, so and that's why we had crystal on crystal is very much the same. She, I don't know if you listened to that episode. I didn't get to listen to hers yet. No, she had a similar situation with her breast implants and she was going to doctors for years and she's like, something's not right. Like mm-hmm. something's not right. And all these doctors basically made her feel like crazy. And she goes through all of her symptoms and she finally read a blog. She read a Facebook post about a woman who had, um, breast implant illness. Yeah. yeah. And she went and saw a doctor and that's exactly what was wrong with her. She lived with it for like five or six years. I think it was, or was it longer yeah, than that? It was a long time, but it, it just, it continues. And I don't know why it continues to amaze me, but the, the idea that you go see a doctor or a specialist or an expert and they completely dismiss anything that you say as like, but you're fine. All of this blood work that I did is fine. Or all of this is fine. And you're like, but I'm telling you that I know something is wrong. Yeah. You know, yourself, like I I know something is off. I know something is wrong and I'm coming to you for help because I don't know how to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, and that's very dismissive. It's very, it's another thing too. And I mean, as general as a population of 
of men and women, but women, especially young girls, like we're taught at such a young age of the things that we're supposed to stick to, keep quiet about, like do this. If I had known, that's why I'm so vocal about like young, like I, I will never probably talk about, it, but I'm vocal about sexual education with young kids mm-hmm. so they understand their bodies and understand what they're going through. I'm vocal about women having options or young girls having options about what their care looks like. Like you don't have to set in the standard just because your mother did it. That's the thing. It's this generational yes. thing. Our moms did it. So we did it right. Our moms didn't yeah. talk about it. So we don't talk about it. But there's also an easy factor, right? So, right. Like here, Liz, you're 32 weeks pregnant and you're at the doctor and she's telling you, right. A lot of people would just be like, well, it's too late for me. I know. To go yeah. So, yeah, I don't have time. Have it, been... So it's an ease factor too, of it just being convenient and easy that it's like, I'm just going to do this because I'm already here. And mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest part of this whole story, which, which I'm, I fucking love is that you were like, I'm not doing this. You can't pressure me. I'm going to figure it out. And you walked out and you were done. And I think that the strength that you had to do that, because honest to God, I wouldn't have, I would oh, have I been would. 32 weeks. And I would have been like, this is it. And I would have been miserable. And the rest of my pregnancy would have been miserable and the deliver, Like it yeah. would have just been because and I, I, I would have just accepted it. I would be a completely different person if I hadn't done that, I think. Right. Like I would have probably lost my, my voice for things that are important, which is sad to think that, that I, that people would let a person dictate, you know, something like that. But something in me was just, I was like, I don't deserve this. I don't, I've been through this and I'm not doing it again. Um, so I'm thankful for that, that I stood my ground, but I also had like this random resource. Like I know not everybody would have had that, you know, like, and that makes me sad, but that's why I talk so openly and maybe people feel uncomfortable about it, but I don't really care. I actually helped two of my friends have uh, not, I didn't help them have vaginal birth, (laughs) but they heard, they talked to me about it. And then Mm -hmm. they were like, Oh, well maybe I could do that too. Like, and they were already pregnant the second time after and both of them had vaginal births and I'll always remember them because they called me to tell me about it afterwards. Right. Liz, guess what I did? Like I had a regular birth and it's only because you talked to me about it. Like their doctors didn't talk to them about it. No. And they won't, they'll tell them you can well, do this, but this yeah. is your risk. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it like, Oh, like the my, risk makes you, it my, scary. Yeah. My husband yep. said, well, we're, we're doing a C-section because we're mm-hmm. not going to risk that. And there's obviously things that people have to have surgery. And I'm not like, you know, I'm not an idiot. I know that there's people that have to have them, but I'm just saying like where there is no risk and where there's people that are healthy, I don't see the point in having a major surgery where you could get infections, you could bleed to death. And I even see patients that have had subsequent pregnancies after cesareans that have to have um, their pregnancies terminated because the embryos actually attach to the scar on their uterus. And that is not something any doctor ever told me, even I after know telling that that could happen. Yep. It's called a cesarean pregnancy. It I is a pregnancy that, that learned something new. terminated. How many never pregnancies? I'm sorry. How many never pregnancies have we learned about in the 20 episodes that we've done? We've learned a handful. Sure. That's a new one. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I've never heard I didn't of that know one. That was a thing. 
just, it's like ectopic pregnancy, but because like, if you have scarring on your uterus, like things can get adhered to it. That is not one thing anybody ever told, talked to no. me about of risks of things like, hello, that's a risk. And I see patients come into my department to, that have to get their pregnancies terminated because of that. Like, so do you think if they told people that, then they would be like, sign me up for that surgery doc. Like, right. can't wait. you know, like think about these things. It doesn't make sense. You're putting women in a situation that they don't need to be in necessarily, you know, not, and yeah, putting not always. Their, their future pregnancies and their future health at risk as well. I mean, their mental health alone, just being like your story alone, just being forced, right? Yeah. Well, you were they forced. literally put her to sleep right. to shush her. Right. Yes. And like, that, and you're probably, I'm sure not the only one. And I really hope somebody listens to this and goes, oh my God, that happened to me. Like, I think, yeah, we probably will hear from a lot of people. Yeah. It's just, but maybe it is. it'll change some things for people too. I, I, I really hope, I, honestly, my mission in this whole thing that we're doing is that people start asking questions about their health wow. because it's, that's where this all lies. I mean, mm-hmm. we've interviewed so many different women and that's really when it comes to medical care, it amazes me. I mean, Chelsea's story the other day, if they had just looked for her endometriosis, they could have started there. Yeah. I don't think we, that, I think that's on part two of her episode. So I don't, I don't know that that, well, this is airing next week, but yeah. yeah, So anybody who's already, yeah, this will air after that. That's right. That like just something as simple as like, Oh, you have endometriosis. We should probably check that out. Well, let's at least look at it. They didn't even look at it. Didn't even look at it. Oh my so, gosh. Now I, I digress. I could talk about mm-hmm. this subject all day. <laughs> I know, I know. So we're going to start being mindful of time. So yes. I just want to oh. say thank you. Well, wait, um, I have one more question. Oh, oh yeah. yes. I, I have forget. a final question for Liz. Nikki is trying to rush us off of here. <laughs> I'm not trying to rush. I just want to be <laughs> mindful of time. Um, okay, Liz, what is the one thing you used to apologize for in the past, but you are unlikely to apologize for now? Having a voice, having my voice. I, I'm with you. That was mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Having a voice. I Mm -hmm. love that. I love you. Thank Thank you. you. I I mean, I've, I've seen and heard things, but sitting down with you and talking, like I teared up a little bit. I get it. Like it's, I'm I'm so happy you advocated for yourself and you created a special, you know, you were able to have a special birthing story that you Thank wanted you. in the first I'm place. I'm very lucky. Yeah. I feel very grateful for what I went through. And I, that's why I just want, my hope is to have more people that have positive experiences um, because it's very healing. And I think that's important. No, you, what so you, thank you guys. is insane. And I am very, very thankful for you sharing it because I, I didn't know a lot of what you said. Um, <laughs> and I just feel like, if more people know other options, it could change Absolutely. a lot for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. So thank you so much for, oh, I see a cute little face back there. <laughs> so Liz, if people wanted to find you or reach out, ask questions, where can they find you? Um, a lot of people find me on Instagram. Um, so I'm at Liz underscore Kylie on Instagram. And I have a lot of my postpartum questions and, um, I have my IGTVs that I recorded. Um, but my DMS are always open. Great. Oh, we'll make sure to put that, link that in the yeah, show notes. Thank you guys so much. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, with that being said, um, thank you. I guess we'll thank you. Thank you.
Right.